You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowlands and I'm joined by Neil Dunworth this afternoon from the For the Love of Paul McGrath Villa podcast. Um, I always struggle over that name. It's a real tongue twister, isn't it? And I've, I've just recovered from a bit of a cold and I'm still, still not speaking quite right um, and quite proper. But we are here to talk about transfers for the first time this January window. I think we're doing our first proper sit-down January transfer window chat. Um, we obviously normally do one every deadline day, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Uh, first of all, Neil, how are you? It's been a while since we've uh, done a pod together. Yeah, I think it was Bubakar Kamara was the last time uh, I, I jumped on, which was wow. a really a really nice podcast to jump on for. And we've seen how he's flourished since he's joined the team. So uh, hopefully... Whoever we mention here today and whoever we talk about here is the exact same effect on Aston Villa as yeah. Kamara has since last time I was here. So you're saying that because you and me blasted a podcast when Kamara played and how brilliant he is, we're the good luck charm to make John Duran and whoever else look 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 like world beaters. By all available evidence, then that's the reason why. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But actually, before we talk about any further transfers, let's talk about Kamara very quickly. I can see that you've got your shirt, the shirt behind him, and you just mentioned that's yeah. the last time we we linked up on a show. How bloody good is he? How oh, good is that player? It, it's funny, you know, when you talk about, like, the, the term ghost can actually be a, a, a term of endearment or can be, a, you know, a term of disappointment, I suppose, when you talk about a midfielder. It can either mean that he goes missing in games or, or it can mean this. But I, I would say that the, the Camara is like a ghost because no one ever sees him coming and he just robs the ball off people. Like, mm. how it, it's amazing how he sneaks up on players in the middle of midfield, gets in around them, takes the ball, or he's just in that position. His positioning is impeccable, and that's what I mean. It's like sometimes other players don't see him there, and he's just always in the right position. He can bring the ball forward. He can cover a lot of ground there. He can tackle standing ups. He can tackle when he goes to ground. He's decent in the air, as we saw as we saw for Bailey's goal against, against Leeds. Um, I still, to this day, think that there is no way in the world he should have been where he was uh, when that ball broke to him at the edge of the box. But I think the reason that... that he was there was because he took a chance and mm. it could have ended up horribly wrong, but he took the right chance at the right time. And you can't buy that in a player. You know, you can't teach a player that, that intuition. So when you look at him, he's on the edge of the area when the corner comes in and he just decides to take a gamble and move that five or six steps further forward. And it gives him that space away from everybody else. And okay, we don't associate him with, with uh, being this person who's got to carry the ball through transitions into the, thir- into, the, into the attacking third and then, you know, be able to pass it in around the box. But he did. I was screaming at him to give it earlier to Bailey, but he didn't. <laughs> and he gave it to him later. And then we ended up 1-0 up after two minutes, you know. So this guy seems to have a bit of everything. And... Uh, no, we should be really proud to call him an Aston Villa player and uh, he's somebody that you could really build something special around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a top, top player. And yeah, we were talking off air before we started about baby names and I was like, how do I, how, how do I get Boubacar past the threshold for, uh, <laughs> for a new baby? I don't quite think it'll fly, but it's, yeah, it's worth asking. Um, just on that topic, by the way, um, well, I would mention in the last episode, I've spoken about it on Twitter before, but I am expecting a baby. I've not mentioned it on the podcast until the end of the last episode. So if anyone didn't get that far, I'm now putting it at the start of this as a kind of, I will be away on paternity leave for a couple of weeks soon and things might be a bit different. So that's a bit of a, a precursor warning. Second reason I mentioned that, I've been in and out of the hospital this week with various different tests and things and we had a bit of an A&E scare, which everything, everything thankfully is okay now. But I feel very out of the loop with Aston Villa, and that is not ideal for being a podcast host. So I'm going to hold my hands up and say I am a little bit out of it. I don't really know what's going on. 
yesterday, whenever it was, John Duran comes out of nowhere and goes, oh, here's a new sign-in. We go, what? Where did that come from? Today I wake up and not long after, Danny Ings is going to West Ham for 15 million. It's like, where the hell did that come from? As soon as he joins out of nowhere last year or the year before, he's gone out of nowhere without any kind of fanfare and it just kind of happens. So I thought, who can I get on the podcast both to fill our audience in and get some knowledge and clue me up? <laughs> That's what I'm here for. So I'm going to ask the questions. Neil, you're hopefully going to give me the answers because I know you've hopefully. done a lot of podcasts in the, in the last few weeks, including one about John Duran before he was even announced and it was like here's a little fat package about him 15 20 minutes or whatever and i saw you plugging that everywhere on the day that he was signed going oh i've already spoken about him i've already done it so fair play to you for that i have watched that as well first of all am i even pronouncing that right john duran yeah that's actually an interesting one a lot of (laughs) a lot of villa fans will know luis miguel and Mm. um, once again i hope i've pronounced his name right because i do actually have a um a a new year's resolution to try and start pronouncing players names correctly in the vernacular of their language because that's a good one and, and and it is because when you're doing stuff for podcasts and specifically with football you know you're going to be signing players from completely different continents different different mm-hmm. even players that will, will spend their names in a completely different alphabet potentially and for me i was uh, my, my reason for doing it was that being irish and having a sister whose name is grania spelled g-r-a father i-n-n-e I've heard her called some absolutely horrendous things in my time. And I just, I, I got myself thinking, you know what? Maybe it's, maybe it's time that I start paying the respect to play, players and their people to pronounce their names the way, correctly the way that they at least have a go at it anyway, you know? Mm. But I, yes, I think, I think it is John Duran and I think the U is pronounced with like a double O. That's what I've been told so far. Um, okay. So John Duran. Okay, I mean that's the, that's the first question with some knowledge from you out of the way. What's his name? <laughs> that's how basic we're starting. It's at this actually level. John Heder Duran, yeah. I think. Right. Sort of, as I think there's, and that's spelled J A D E R, if I'm not mistaken, pronounced Heder. So I did. I I went into depth on the pronunciation, but as I say, sometimes the tongue doesn't right, really roll as much as it should for for getting certain consonants correct uh, right. <laughs> right. So let's talk about the player himself. Then there'll be very few watching this podcast and a very few Villa fans across social media that when that name popped up will have gone, oh yes, I know him. Or yes, I've seen him play. And I will hold my hands up and say, before he signed, I'd never heard of him. And there'll be plenty of people who are in the same boat and I've got no embarrassment or any shame to sit and say, I've never heard of a 19-year-old playing in the MLS. Now, what I've seen from him since, he looks like a great prospect. He's been with some big clubs in Man United and Liverpool. So to get him across the line to Villa, for the price, which is what eighteen million or something like that, has been been the rumor at least. Mm. Um, seems like a good bit of business on, on the face of it for a player of his age and his potential. What do we actually know about him? What will he bring to Aston Villa, in, in your opinion? Just as a, a brief kind of overview before we get into anything specific. So, I think a couple of things to to, to be aware about him is that um, <clears throat> I think it might even be fair to say that. You know, he's got, like, when Wayne Rooney was thrown into the deep end that just turned 16, you know, he wasn't, he, he he physically looked like he was there. He had some good feet and so on. This guy was thrown into the deep end at the age of 15 for Envergado, um, a middle of the road, I suppose, uh, Colombian team um, who have a very good academy. James Rodriguez has come from there and, 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 and a couple of other players uh, that have gone on to be icons, I suppose, and big players within within Colombia. And this guy was thrust into into senior action at 15 years of age. Um, he initially was a, was was a winger, 
but um, he has kind of morphed into into that that centre forward role. Not when I say initially he was a winger, he's fifteen years of age. They probably put the young fast guy out in the wing, you know, to give him some time. Morphed in then and played in more centre forward. He has really filled out since he made mm-hmm. his uh, since he's made his debut. And physically, he's all there. You know, he's he's a fully grown man physically, and he still has growing to do. Um, but his growth spurt, uh, spurt uh, what did him huge favors in, in in the aspect that he's six foot one. Some people say six foot two. He's left footed, and um, he's nice and sturdy. You know, you're not going to be knocking him off the ball. Still has that turn of pace that he would have had when he was when he was a kid, and um, when he was a kid, he's only nineteen, just turned <laughs> nineteen years of age. But you know, he has that turn of pace, and I like the fact about him that he's a, that he's uh, learned and he's been taught how to be a bit more direct in in uh, what I mean by that is to play centrally um, mm. a, a, a small bit more. Now, look, video footage of him playing in Colombia; it's hard enough to come by, um, but uh, there are some bits and pieces out there, and you can see him playing for the Colombian under twenties um, uh, tomorrow. I think it is on Friday, and that that was an interesting one. I said there's going to be a massive spike on the TAM ratings uh, in Colombia. They're going to be scratching their heads, going, "Why is everybody in Birmingham watching <laughs> Colombia and Peru under twenties? You know, well." He's the reason why. If he goes back out there, if he gets mm. back out there in time, because there's rumours that he may not. Yeah, it's a. I feel like it's a bit of a strange one in some aspects. When I first saw it, and it just popped up. Aston Villa can confirm we've signed John Duran, 19 year old from the MLS. I was half expecting to click on the link and go, he will be joining the youth, pro, you know, the youth yeah. program, the under 23s, or he'll be immediately loaned back or something like that. It's only when you start to look into it and realise the fee that oh no, he's bought as a first team player. There's a lot of comments coming through already, kind of half expecting that does he is he the player that's here to replace Danny Ings? And we'll talk about Danny Ings leaving in a sec, which I, I don't see as being that first of all because we needed a striker regardless of Danny Ings going or staying. So you look at Cameron Archer going out on loan and uh, Danny Ings going to West Ham, John Duran coming in and potentially going back to Colombia for a couple of weeks, possibly for this under-20s tournament. So he's not going to be playing against Southampton. Ollie Watkins has had injury problems so he's now the only available striker if he's fit and ready to go. And also we've had doubts over Ollie Watkins over the last year and a half about his finishing ability and his long-term future at Aston Villa anyway. So we all of a sudden we seem very light up front and with Danning's going, which we will talk about in more detail, you think, well, there must be another coming through as well. So there's this fine mm-hmm. balance between questioning what's going on and wondering where, where Villa are headed here and also this kind of 100% trust in Emery just to go, he must have a plan. If he sanctioned Danning's going, there must be something else happening. I think it's fair. I think it's fair assessment to make. Um, I suppose really, do we, do we ask the question about where does the brain trust um, outside of the dugout come into within these decisions? And, you know, sometimes is whatever it was, 12 rising to 15. Is that too good to turn down for Danny Ings considering that when we signed him, yes, the initial or the figure that was reported was 30 million, but I think with regards to add-ons and everything like that, it was about 20 or if not 18, I think so. It was quite, I, I read that somewhere. It's always, less, isn't it? it's always less than you think. And, <laughs> and, any, and any clauses in there for add-ons wouldn't have been hit because you would assume there were things like trophy wins exactly. or international call-ups and stuff like that. Goals so. scored and things. Well, yeah. and, and, and citation needed on the numbers I just gave there a moment ago because I just read that on Twitter. So um, uh, And I'm pretty sure it didn't have a blue check beside it. But um, So so there, there, there could be citation needed on that. But I, I would have to say that there is a plan in place here. Um, when you think about it, the two forward striking options that we have at the moment 
outside of John Joran are both converted wingers. Hmm. That to me is kind of a small little bit, you know, there's a small little bit of a, a, a kind of a, you know, a tensing uh, in my gut about that one. Um, as you mentioned there, Ollie Watkins, you know, shooting boots can be on, shooting boots can be off. And sometimes he does get stick for the shooting boots being off. Um, and Leon Bailey obviously went through a three game horror show really for us. And, and, and I think it's OK to say that he's showing good, good grit to come back against Leeds. And I think he's very much a confidence player. So yeah. they're going to need to carry a lot of water this weekend for us because it's unlikely we're going to get someone through the door that's going to be able to play on, on Saturday. So we are going to have to rely on those guys. And, and even if John Duran, uh, John Duran is um, is away, is is available for the weekend by whatever miracle, considering Columbia played two games in 48 hours, which is bonkers in itself. Yeah. But even if he is available, he's still a guy that's never kicked the ball in Europe before, mm. ever. And, 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 that, and you know, are, are you going to throw him in? Are you going to throw him in without having trained with the team, without having done it? Because he can't do anything until his international clearance and his, and his visas come through. So all he can do is sit there with a page in front of him waiting to sign it. It's all he can do. So that's a question mark for me. Uh, and, and and it could be potentially at the weekend, step forward, Brad Jung and make an aim for yourself, you know? Yeah. Does, do you think that all this kind of raises further question marks over allowing Cameron Archer to go out on loan so early in the window as well? Because obviously he wasn't playing under Steven Gerrard. He hasn't played under an IMR either. So I understand him going off to get game time makes sense. But also if you're willing to sanction the move for Danny Ings to leave as well, and you're still not sure about Duran yeah. coming in for whatever reason, whether it be clearance or going back to this tournament or whether he's forced to stay here. I was like forced to stay, but you know what I mean? If we've signed him and said, no, we want him to come straight into the squad, then that's our decision, I guess. But does that, would you think, why not just hold on to Cameron Archer until deadline day then? Because then at least he would be an option for Saturday. Um, but then would he hindsight be an is twenty twenty. He's not been playing as he so maybe he's not an option. H- hindsight is twenty twenty. I think on that one, um, the I I think the juice was too good, too good to turn up, or the juice was too good for the squeeze with regards to that one. Sending him off to Aaron Danks, who knows him mm. well, and to a team that Carrick has has revitalized. I think in Borough, I think it's I think it's a smart move, provided he gets game time, and it's one mm. of those ones where. He, We'll judge. I, I, I'll definitely judge it harshly if he doesn't get game time, and um, because of what we've done now with Ings. So everything will feed into the Ings being sold factor. We don't sign somebody; it's going to feed into that. Why do we sign? It's why do we sell Danny Ings if Cameron Archer doesn't get game time? Once again, we we'll look at it in hindsight and say, well, we should have kept him instead of selling, selling Danny Ings. But I think at this moment in time, I think the smart move was to let him go out and loan. He's at the age. So, so and a lot of people have mentioned about John Duran. Coming in, does that mean the end of the Cameron Archer um, potential or end of the Cameron Archer experience? And I don't think it does at all. John Duran is a guy with three Colombian caps, in, Colombian senior caps. Cameron mm. Archer just got capped at, at English under 20 level, not even under 21 level, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I feverishly should have checked that as well. I'm not sure um, that's true. Uh, so, you know, the, there, while we have very high hopes for Cameron Archer, a 19-year-old guy who's got three caps for a senior Colombian Colombian side who made his debut for a, sen- for a senior club side at 15, you'd have to think that the potential there is probably on a different level. Ideally, mm. you want to see the two of them st- play together and both score 20 goals. Um, but um, from a Cameron Archer point of view, he's at 20. He needs to get out there again. He's Actually, he does. He's got four caps for England under 21s and four goals. I just checked it up there. Okay. Uh, yeah, so... Um, 
That's just shows what we know. Um, but uh, <laughs> thanks for tuning in, everyone. <laughs> yeah, thanks for tuning in as well. By the way, yeah, yeah. But um, like we can see the progress he made, the progress he made through the year last year with Preston North End. So mm. you'd be hoping that he would have a similar effect on him in Middlesbrough. He just needs to play games. He's twenty one. He's he's just he's gone twenty one, and and he just needs games. He really does. Considering that he was considered a a, a late bloomer, or potentially a late bloomer when he was and at um in the academy as well you know things really started to click for him when he turned about 18 so hmm. you know more games for him i think we'll see more potential so we're talking a little bit then about villa strike options going forward and to, to let danny ings go means there has to be another striker coming i think well, i think if we'd have kept danny ings i'd still like to have seen a striker me too because play, playing bailey up front as a striker as much as that's a, a two man and he'll float off and you know it's part of a system i get that he's still not an out and out forward uh, and out and out number nine or striker so you know I'd have had Watkins and somebody else and Ings as a three and then Duran as well and then Archer as, you, as your fifth kind of coming back in the summer or whatever so if there is one to be coming in because Dan Ings is going what kind of profile do you think that will be what kind of player do you think that needs to be is it a, a more physical presence is it someone who's proven in the Premier League before is it an unknown from, from Europe what would your kind of assessment be of what Villa need now do you think um I don't think it needs to be a big hulking presence up top for for two reasons. They don't grow on trees. Number one, mm-hmm. they're very difficult to find. I, I've I've been saying from the bones of about eighteen months now, um, probably actually since we signed Danny Ings, I've been saying that there's a serious lack of good strikers in Europe at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, the world over. You look at Germany. Germany couldn't field a proper striker in your in the World Cup this year. Like that's bonkers stuff. Uh, Germany of all the great strikers they've had through the years couldn't field one now i know there's certain injuries and so on like that that, that happened to squads but even they're clamoring looking around going who's going to replace thomas muller you know in those mm-hmm. in, in that instance so the traditional striker that we would all we would, we would all look for or, or associate with the english game there aren't even a lot of those around you've got harry kane you know you got harry kane and then probably the next person that comes in that that's, that's that that you know the, i couldn't even tell you who the next english person that comes in and plays in the england team that's, that would have a similar profile to harry kane you know they they just don't grow on trees what i'm getting at here is i think that it's going to be somebody who's going to have good movement in between this in between the center halves i think it's going to be somebody who can anchor down in the middle and be a quick transition player when the ball comes to him because we are going to defend. Emery has done it at Villarreal. We're going to have mm. that six, that bank of six at the back again. I, I personally love it. I don't care. Tactics are tactics. I don't care whether whether people think that they're boring or not. If they start getting results, then then it's the right decision that's been made. Yeah. But I think that we're going to need to have quick transitions. You see, Alex Moreno's come in. He bombs forward. He's he's a direct player. And I think somebody like we were just linked with him there. And I, I'm I'm going to put together something on him later on. Is Musa Dembele of uh, of Leon. I'm not saying that he's the be-all and end-all, and I'm kind of loath to start mentioning I would love this striker or whatever because yeah. that kind of puts a, a tag on this person to say, well, this is the only guy that we can have. And not just because I say it. God, don't get me wrong. No, but what I'm saying is people get fixated on the actual striker themselves as opposed to the mm. type of striker. But I think someone in around the six-foot mark, uh, maybe six-foot-one mark, who's, who moves well between centre-halves, who can occupy two centre-halves, allow things to happen out wide, and... and, and um, can play off the shoulder. I think that's probably what we will see to come in because the Bentecas of this world that we when we signed him, I'm sure there are loads of those floating around the place, but there aren't an awful lot of them that can come in and have massive impacts straight away. And that you even look at Barcelona. Barcelona went and got a 30 whatever year old Lewandowski because 
they had to get a striker in to replace Messi and Aguero and they mm. got him and they didn't care what they'd pay for him even though he was getting on in years because they know he's going to guarantee however many goals and I think he's about 20, 21 goals scored already this season. They just don't grow on trees, unfortunately. Yeah, you have a lot of talk, don't you, about we need this 20-goal-a-season striker. We need this striker that's going to come in and score 20 goals guaranteed. And you kind of think, well, the last of the mould of the players that Villarreal are able to get like that feels like someone like Danny Ings. Someone who you look at in the Premier League and go, he's scored goals everywhere, let's go for him. He'll kind of work. He's done it there. Pull him into Villa. He'll you know, plug and play. He'll do it at Villa. And he scored, what, was it 13 goals or something in these couple of seasons with us? Yeah. Um, so... In terms of his signing, he kind of uh, this whole situation gives me more thoughts about the recruitment process rather than than what's happening going forward with Emery. It's that he was brought in as part of the problem, or to help fix part of the problem of losing Jack Grealish, and then less than what two years later, or just over two years later, it's uh scored thirteen goals. We cost paid it you know, 25, 30 million or whatever it was, and then West Ham come calling. We go, okay, that'll do. Wash our hands of it, fifteen million, and which is to be fair, I think is a good thing to do because he's going into his last year of his contract. He's not That's quite true. fit under Dean Smith, Stephen Gerrard, or Unai Emery. Although he has scored a couple of goals, he's not kind of you're not pulling out a player where you're going, oh, what are we going to do without Danny Ings? It's you know neither here nor there. So you just think, well, what does that mean for the recruitment? And what does that mean going forward? Because the last time we needed to replace a player, we got Danny Ings. Yeah. Now we're in a position where, position where we're going, well, now we need to replace Danny Ings. So who do we go with to, to fill that hole? Yeah. Um, do you think it's more likely we'll end up with somebody rather than an out-and-out striker? There's a few comments here saying about Mitrovic from Fulham as this kind of ready-made striker that's already doing it. Again, first of all, how much would he cost somebody like that? Would he just come in and do the same thing at Villa? I'm not convinced either. But do you think it's more likely we get somebody like a, a Saar from Watford, again, not naming specific players for the sake of fixating on them, but somebody who's more likely to do what Leon Bailey is doing and playing out wide off a second striker rather than going, right, here is a number nine who scored 15 goals in the Belgium League last year. He's the guy who's going to lead the line. Do you think it'll be somebody who kind of floats around a little bit more? Um, Dan Juma? Nicola Jackson. Uh, there's, yeah. So <clears throat> I think the player that probably fits that mold, if we were to get somebody in, that probably has the best chance of hitting the ground running. And people may not like it. I think judging on what he's done since he's left uh, Everton, you look back at his time at Watford and especially his time at Udinese, is Jared De La Feo. Yes, mm. he's not six foot, he's five nine. You know, he's a smaller type player again. I do think we need a bit more presence and height up there. He's t- coming up in 29 years of age, but as a short term answer, I think he could be somebody who we could squeeze last, squeeze a good year or two out of. Um, uh, you know, he could play that that role where he where he goes out into the wing or he plays up top if they are if he is going to persist. If Emery is going to persist with a kind of a more um, winger type presence beside Ali Watkins up there, uh, I think maybe someone like him. You mentioned Sar. I was all for the Sar signing because uh, I I still think we would need our winger anyway so that we can have tactical mm. fluidity. And yeah. if you if you kind of look at what Unai Emery has. Uh, you know, you look what he's done in the past. He has this fluidity, and sometimes I think if if Luka Dean get injured, you're going to see Luka Dean and Moreno step, uh, start on the same side together, and people might question that and say, "Why have you got two left backs in there?" It's tactical fluidity, and it means that they've got two different skill sets inside there. So I think potentially the winger is is on the books anyway, and maybe they just sign one to cover both. I'm not a massive fan of having this interchangeability of wing player and striker because mm. the reason I'm not uh, I'm not a massive fan of it is we can do that with Watkins. 
Hopkins. We can do that with Bailey already. And while people say that, yes, isn't it good to have that that kind of transferability that, uh, you know, that you don't need to change the change the tactics up. Um, if Watkins or Bailey got injured, you could put, plug in a Sar or a Delefeo or a Danjuma. My thought process is, but you're you're actually like you're not actually strengthening the team if you do that. And if you do mm. need to go to Plan B, Plan B is the same as Plan A. It's just got a yeah. different man up there. And I think we found that out with Steven Gerrard. Got rid of all our wingers and decided to play those two tens. And when things weren't going right because of the formation, it was a case of change the player in that number ten position. But things still weren't going right. And and I'd be loath to fall back into that situation once more. Um, but once again, I think Gunnar Emery is a small is is a bit bit smarter than that kind of handcuff himself to a certain um a certain tactical setup and and uh, not be able to tweak it or change it to to open up the lines as we go forward. Mm, I do always find these kind of podcasts a, a, a bit of a strange conversation, really, not that we're having a strange conversation. There was a comment saying you've kind of, the people in the comments are only reacting to half the story, that it's all, oh my God, Danny Ings has left, like, what are we going to mm. do? But there's still, what, 10 days left of the window and changes will happen and players will still will come in as well. So it's almost like we're we are also doing the same. We're half reacting to it of all these hypotheticals of what kind of role will it be? What kind of player will it be? Will it be somebody who can play off a, a second striker? Will it be a big you know, brawler, target man kind of guy? We don't know yet, do we? So we are just speculating. But yeah. on, the, on the very face of it, Aston will need a striker, a forward player of some description who that turns out to be something we'll discuss in the next 10 days or so but as of right now you kind of go exactly well, you know what? It, it feels like we're do you know what we've done it feels like we've paused a movie with about yeah. an hour to go and we've decided to do a podcast and discuss <laughs> it as if the movie was finished and and, and look that's the nature of fo- fo- being a football yeah. fan it's it's and god knows i love it you know i love the ability to be able to do that to be able to talk now and then in hindsight go God, we got it completely wrong because nobody knows. The only person who knows what's going on in there is the brain trust and Unai Emery and, and people in and around the club. And and I like the secrecy. I like that secrecy. It's mm. bloody frustrating at times because, you know, when something <laughs> like this it. happens, we're, we're struggling around going, there has to be a plan. There has to be a plan. <laughs> and, and and I'm sure there is. But when you don't know, like when it is that secret at times, um, it can be very frustrating. And that's the thing. When there is no no apparent reason for something like that, anything can fill the void. And mm. that's where things like, and, and no offense to anybody who's saying, Wesley, come back from Levante in the, in the comments. <sighs> until I see... And on the yellow ticker at, at Sky, I'd see what I ever talk about how great Wesley has been at Levante and gives him meaningful minutes. I don't even want to think about that at the moment because I just don't think it's going to happen. I just don't think it's going to happen. It'd be a great yeah. story. It'd be great. That'd make a great movie. But I wouldn't pause <laughs> with an hour to go. His comeback story. That'd be fantastic. Let's talk about Dan, Danny's actually leaving then. Do you think that's the right decision? Have we done the right thing there? Again, it's like we said, it's half the story. It kind of depends what the replacement is before we can say whether it's a right decision or not. He's currently Villa's top goal scorer. It's yeah. a very unusual thing to do to sell your top goal scorer halfway through a season. Um, you know, it's not that us and West Ham aren't currently rivals, but there's nothing to say West Ham have a better half to the second, you know, better second half of the season, and all of a sudden we're going, oh, Danny Ings is banging in goals for West Ham. That was a mistake. Yeah. But it is £15 million or up to £15 million. Like we said at the start, it's always less. So let's say £10 million for a player who. And they're going into the last year of his contract. Is it the right decision? Is it too good to to say no to that? Is it just a money decision? Uh, and we'll kind of have the rest of the answer be caveated with that. Well, if we sign Tammy Abraham, yes, it's a great decision. Yeah, but if we don't sign anybody, it's a questionable one. 
But here we go. And there, there you go. I think you just answered the question. It, I, I would imagine <laughs> for me, I, I sat down. Here's here's me kind of showing my age. If anybody watched that episode of Friends where Ross writes, writes down the pros and the cons of Rachel, um, you know, on a piece of paper and, and, and whatever, you know, you're going to come. If you do that exercise with Danny Ings, you're going to come up with reasons why, yes, this is the right reason mm. to sell him. And you're going to come up with reasons to say this is bonkers to sell him. And I think the truth probably lies in both columns, to be honest with you. If you look yeah. at it from a financial point of view, uninflated wages apparently 120 20k a week which if that is to be believed sitting on the bench and and you know he's only got a cumulatively i think like 226 minutes for um villa since emery came in albeit he scored three goals in that period of time you know do you really want to be paying 120k every every week to somebody who may only be seeing um you know partial minutes Mm. then you look at what at the squad planning point of view we're now left with no no recognised striker outside of Ali Watkins that has scored goals in, in the Premier League. I, I still class Leon Bailey as more of a, a more of an attacking midfielder slash winger in, in that aspect. And, you know, that is where the mind boggles. So also trying to replace somebody who scored six goals this season, albeit he scored two goals against Brentford. He scored two goals against, uh, against Brighton, one goal against Wolves. And I can't remember when he got the other goal earlier on in the season, but he scored six goals this season. They have been they've been in bunches, is what I'm trying to get at here. But still, mm. he scored us six goals. How are we going to replace that? And can we replace it from within the team? So I think all in all, when you look at it, if... If the, the if the money was a bit bit so if this was fifteen going to eighteen as opposed to twelve going to fifteen I think most people would say you know what that's a fair deal and I think Villa had to take it mm. but the the other side of it here is then and you mentioned it about the hindsight aspect here is no matter what happens here Jean Duran and whoever we sign if we do sign here will ex- inextricably be linked to Danny Ings forevermore in their goal scoring <laughs> records. It will always be Ings versus both of these guys. And mm. I'm not looking forward to the endless amount of conversations if Danny Ings bangs in 10 between now and the end of the season. You know, so uh, right. it, my answer on it is financially, I think it was probably something that they made made, made a decision on. Um, but I would have to believe that the brain trust are looking at it from a squad planning point of view, which in fairness, you know, sometimes we have left ourselves short in places, attacker being one place we've left ourselves short in previously. I hope we don't do that again because I would be upset about that. From a financial point of view, do you think Danning's leaving and John Duran incoming is breaking even or does it save Villa money? Because obviously the transfer fees, Duran costs more if oh. bonuses go up, etc. But Duran won't be on 100k. Or from amortization of contracts. Yeah. From a financial point of view, from an accounting point of view, Villa save a packet from selling mm. Danny Ings now with 18 months left because you can still amortise uh, whatever percentage of his contract that's been spread out over the three years was, or the three and a half years. You can amortise that into into your, your, your savings, plus the savings on the wages. Mm. So the, the transfer fees with somebody like Danny Ings... It's it's good and it still goes into the plus column within your within your your accounting and I'm being very vague when I'm speaking about here because I don't have full understanding of this, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it is from a financial point of view. It, I remember seeing a study done on when United sold Angel de Maria and uh, they sold him for a huge for a huge loss on what they bought him for. Same with Mkhitaryan, but they were able to put it as a massive profit into their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. So. Um, there is that that aspect of it, and I would imagine that John Duran is John Duran is coming here, and he's, you know, he's on a fraction of what Danny Ings was earning. If he's on 30, 30 grand a week, 
I, I don't think he yeah. could probably command much more than that. Now I'm open to to uh, and and for anybody who's going to put in the capology number there. I'm not so sure the capology. I have a story about 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 that that I don't want to put out because <laughs> I don't want to ruin. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to to, to broadcast it. But I'm not so sure some of the capology numbers. Um, mm. I'm just not. Uh, but yeah, I think from an accounting point of view, um, I think sending Ings will will have a much larger effect on the balance sheet than the purchase of of John Duran. And then you wonder whether if John Durant played, I think it's 18 games and Ings has played, or 18 appearances, 10 starts or something like that with six goals in the league. Yes. If John Durant scores six to six goals in the second half of the season, you almost go, well, we have broke even and we've lost what we've lost with Dan Ings, but we've made up with Durant's numbers. We've also yeah. made the money that we've made. And we also still think we'll bring in a striker anyway. So there's almost <laughs> I almost feel like there's no way that Villa have will be out will come out of the window worse off than they were going into it, if you know what I mean. I, I'd even say if, if John Duran got three goals and Ollie Watkins somehow went into hyperdrive and got into double digits well, yeah. again. I just I just probably would never have seen Ollie Watkins getting into double digits if Danny Ings was here because there would have come a time where he would where he would have been benched. And now look, this isn't the a Watkins versus Ings comment. Please do not I do not want to have that argument or that conversation because they're two completely different types of players, as we mentioned before. But I think we are going to have what I'm trying to get at here is we're going to have to find goals around the team now. And yeah. if we don't bring in another striker and and, and pressure is on. You know, I will say that there is an element of pressure that the club and the team have put themselves under here. And as you know, uh, I'm I'm eagerly awaiting the announcement of um, Kylian Mbappe to come in through the doors to play well, all over my face. But I think you say that, that, but I was half expecting Villa to do a Danny's on Danny's leaving, and at, you know, at ten o'clock <laughs> announce that he's gone, and at ten o five go, oh, he is so and so, and we go, oh my god, forget Danny's, we've got him now. Maybe, um, maybe, the, maybe the social media guy is stuck in traffic, or maybe he's uh, maybe he's got an appointment. Maybe he'd go and see he's chiropractor or something like that and they're just waiting for him to come back it is, it is a it is a strange one with my kind of tinfoil hat on that it's kind of like announced via sky sports this morning but neither west ham or villa have yeah. actually said anything yet so you do wonder if there is a bit of a i know he might be That's going true. for medical and all those kind of things and it will just be announced at some point but it's very rare these days that a transfer is broken via somebody like sky sports before That's the club say something themselves so i was just wondering whether they're you know, three o'clock, it's that Dannings has left, 10 past three, Villa of signed so-and-so. Mm. And it's just that it's all kind of this merry-go-round, let's wait for announcing Dannings because we're also waiting to announce incoming player as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, that, that potentially, that I didn't I didn't have my tinfoil hat on, but now I'm going to go make one because that makes sense. Like, <laughs> there's, there's there's an argument to be made for that. It's it's like, it's like uh, that, I don't know, do you ever remember under Martin O'Neill, people would have up on... on um, and social, well, I don't know even was it, no, was it social media back then? Forums like and stuff, forums it? and things. It was yeah. like, I, I see they've got five chairs in the press conference room. <laughs> so, and they were naming out people who potentially could be sitting on the chair. And it was like, that chair is free. And uh, that must be a double <laughs> announcement. There's somebody else coming in, you know, and it never transpired, you know. But no. uh, that's the beauty. And once again, I talk about it. That's the beauty of being a football fan and doing a podcast is because you lo- you're allowed to have your imagination run wild because at the end of the day, you want the best for Aston Villa. I want the best for Aston Villa. We're going to question what they do at times but at the end of the day I personally would always come down I'll always be licking the sugary side of the donut from that point of view I'll always be looking for the for the positive outcome and um 
you know, that's why they call it a fa- that's why they call it a fan. It's short for fanatic, you know, because you mm-hmm. just bonkers about the club, like and and like as you said, I want that happy that happiness of seeing yeah. this striker. They go, Marcus Turam has agreed in a five year deal for Aston Villa, or Jonathan David. I've seen those names popping up here in front mm-hmm. of me. Has agreed on a five year deal from Lille. Maybe that's why Lille are going for this guy and so on and so forth. So you know, that kind of conjecture is always good to have, and it kind of keeps. Keeps keeps you healthy if 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 keeps you insane at the same time, you know. <laughs> it's also that like cut off point time for playing Saturday. Yeah, I think no, is it, like, 12, it's twelve o'clock on the Friday before, isn't it? So like you know anything yeah. in the in the next kind of twenty hours or so, if we do sign somebody, technically you'd expect them to be eligible for Saturday, and then we're going, oh well, so and so might be playing against Southampton as well. That's yeah. exciting. And remember, this, Alex this is Moreno, what the transfer window is. Alex Moreno was signed. Like he had one one training session, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. he played eighty one minutes against uh, and played eighty one well, minutes yeah. very well against mm-hmm. uh, against Leeds. You know, so I wouldn't rule out a signing coming in and playing now if they are done before twelve o'clock tomorrow. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't hold out hope for it. Now I also don't know. I know a couple of people have said John Duran is back and he's he's in the yes he's in he's in uh, Birmingham at the moment, but I I think that's that that it, that his his agent even said that it was to do the. Do the, the the administration work and, and the medicals and so on like that? Uh, I don't even think he's going to have international clearance to play for the weekend. So no, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, but he might not go back. That could be back. it. Yeah, but uh, that's FA Cup next weekend, and obviously Villa aren't in it, so there's no rush for him to come back anyway. The next yeah, game and, is not the fourth of February, I think. So that's it. And the twenties, the the South American twenties competitions run off over eight days anyway. And if they don't get into the semi final final for that, then you know he's back a lot a lot quicker. It's bonkers. Yeah. They have to play four games in eight days, and they play their first two games in forty eight hours. Like, That's madness, isn't it? I've no idea. Yeah, it's tough on these young players as well. Like you only have to pick up a little injury, and careers careers go down the pan. Um, stop, then stop. <laughs> not about Duran, not about him at all. Other people. Um, <laughs> Let's just talk generally about what else you think we need. Obviously, January the January window is notorious for dodgy deals and buying the wrong players and overpaying for people and, and a bit mm. of panic and desperation, which some could argue that West Ham spending 50 million on Danny Ings in January is a, is a little bit of a panic given his, his record for Villa, but you know, you never know. He might fit there better than he did at, at Villa. Um, so what else do you think we need? We obviously, we've signed Moreno, we've signed Durant. We hope we'll sign another forward slash striker to to fill for Danny Ings' role as well. Do you think we need anything else? Do you think it's the right time to do any other business? Or is it just a case of con- consolidating what we've got with, with who we've got and going again in the summer? I think there's an element of both. So I, I think that I think if an opportunity arises for another midfielder uh, to come in, another central midfielder, and that's why I was enamored by the links for the likes of Genduzi and uh, the guy from Angers. Yeah. I, I can't pronounce his surname, the Moroccan, the Moroccan guy from, uh, from Angers, um, whose surname I always butcher. So I'm going to, going to, pass on that one everybody knows him he lit up the world cup he was linked yesterday i, I personally not 100 percent sure there's much in that one but i could be convinced um but i think that type of player that player that, that's creative that can play as that wide midfielder because essentially that's what we are that's what we have at the moment john mcginn is going to be back soon as well so that fills one of those wide midfielder positions as well uh, jacob mm. ramsey is obviously back fit we've got buendia we've got coutinho Think it. Think we might see something go. There could be something on a Coutinho if we get the right players in there. Maybe he does go back to Brazil. I'm not 100 percent sure. But what I think is, I think the areas that he's going to look to shore up are going to be that that wide midfielder or that winger type and a striker. I think it will be attack focused if we do do more business in this window. But I think if people are really looking towards the the, the off season then into June. 
don't be surprised if we see movement in our back four. Our back four are getting mm. up there. Our back four are getting up there. Obviously, I think Ashley Young is going to get another another deal. Um, Luke Dean obviously is there is the wrong side of thirty. If there, well, there's no such thing, I'm the wrong side of thirty, so that makes it makes it the right side of thirty. <laughs> so you've got like so Luke Dean, you've got Matty Cash, who we're not 100 percent sure does he really fit into where where Una mm. Emery wants to see the fullbacks go. Um, Tyrone Mings is over thirty. Um, Diego Carlos is over thirty. In fairness to Chambers and Bednarak, I don't expect to see them in a Villa shirt in the 23-24 season, and then we. We've got Ezri Kanza, who I think we could we could uh, we could improve on. So I think if there's something comes up for <coughs> for an attacking talent in this window, I think they'll take their take their their shot on that one. Obviously, they will need to get a striker in if they don't get one now in June. But I think we could see some defensive reinforcements in in the off season in June. <coughs> Excuse me, more so than than striking, um, because the future proofing of that defense I think would be quite important. Yeah, there was a, a, com- a comment piece that John Townley wrote. I've just put it in the in the comments about five players on notice as Unai Emery starts to shape his squad. Yes. Uh, one of them is Danny Ings. <laughs> Obviously, this was written, I think this was written yesterday. Uh, players going into the final year of the contract. So as Ashley Young, obviously in twenty three, Jed Steer, Danny Ings was twenty twenty four, Tara Mings is twenty twenty four. So it's marvelous Nakamba, who is kind of a bit of a, of a forgotten player. I think it was his birthday recently, and he was maybe on the bench last game. And it's kind of like, oh, there he is. Um, yeah. I think there's got to be a little bit more outgoings, hasn't there, this window, I would, I would have thought. And it's kind of interesting, actually, the way that Gilbert and whoever else it was that left the other day, I've forgotten about, who have kind of been like serial loanees are now like gone permanently. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who the other one was. Is Samson being linked somewhere? I can't remember. Bertrand um, Traore is back, but he had a knee injury. So, yeah, yeah, he had a pretty decent knee injury, or, or undecent, if that's probably the right word for it. Um, yeah, but you do wonder whether the likes of a Sanson or a Nakamba or a Traore need to go permanently before yeah. Villa can do a little bit more. Um, uh, I think they so. will be. I think Sanson is more or less going to go back to Montpellier. I think Villa are just probably yeah. holding that up at the moment because he potentially could be needed here. Um, I think Nakamba yeah. doesn't have a future of Aston Villa anymore. You know, since since we've brought in those guys the guys there, I think even for for his escapades at Stevenage, I think Leander Dundonker has still leapfrogged him there. And obviously we've got young Tim to come back into the mix there too as well. So yeah. maybe Leander Dundonker might have a short stay at Aston Villa if young Tim is deemed um, to be of the, the, the calibre that we think he is. Um, but I think Nakamba is is um, is. I, I, I'm nearly certain I saw that Una Emery has told him that he can leave anyway, and um, that he's had conversations with like Ludwig Augustinson, um, yeah. oh, yeah. Nakamba, Oof. and a couple of more people that are there. Sanson, and, and I think Sanson has been given the blessing to leave when mm. you know when 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 the time is right, and, and it looks like Montpellier are going to take him back somewhere where it. I'm not going to say it all began because he played it somewhere else previous to that, but uh, that's where he made his name. It's Montpellier. The other player I was thinking of that I knew I'd seen gone was Vasilev. Because <laughs> again, nothing yes. this really. I'd forgotten he was even still with us. Yeah, but yeah he's, he's permanently gone now instead of being loaned out again. Now, just again, I thought that was semi interesting that we've had a, a couple of these players that just constantly will go out on loan, out on loan, out on loan. Whereas mm. Emery comes in and Gilbert's gone permanently and it's done and it's dealt with and that's it. And it's like, okay, that's good. That's what I, that's what we need, isn't it? We don't want these players you know, and the camera being loaned out for the next three seasons, just kind of yeah. running down a wage. It's, if we're getting rid, get rid properly, cut, <coughs> cut your losses and, and move on. We don't need them here anymore. That's hard as that is that's football um just very quickly now before i let you go back to your uh, busy work day and i do thank you very much for being able to rejig your lunch your lunch time to uh, to speak to us just looking ahead at the next couple of games a bit of a mini preview 
Uh, we talked about this on a, on the last show that I did about Villa's next four: Southampton, Leicester, Man City, and Arsenal, and what kind of points return we would deem as good or acceptable or whatever you want to say. Mm. What do you think those four games should be returning? That's obviously too easier than the other two. Um, this all come, comes from the back of Unai Emery having this great points return from six games so far. Uh, I think it's 13 points from six Premier League games, which is no one else mm. in the Premier League has got that many points in those six. Um, I did a graphic earlier of, of Villa managers in their first six, and since 2000, Emery is the top of that list. Stephen Gerrard had 12 points from six, though, and Emery had 13, so maybe a kind of cautionary tale that Emery can have a bad streak as well. As well. But a lot, of the, a lot of managers in that list, it's like Remy Gard got three points from 18, and Paul Lambert had five points from 18. He looked at some of those names and kind of felt a little bit sick. Um, but yeah, it's six points from uh, six points. 13 points from 18 available from Emery's first six. So if we look ahead for the next four to make it around 10, how many points do you think Emery will have got from his first 10 games? So it's 13 from 13 six. at the moment. It's now Southampton, Leicester, Man City, Arsenal. When, we, when Emery's played 10 games, how many points will he have earned Villa? That's my long-winded question. I I genuinely, I realist, realistically think that it's going to be difficult for Southampton and Leicester to break Aston Villa down if we go out mm. with the with this defensive mindset that we've had. And I would expect us to win both those games. Yeah. Expect, I would hope we would win both those games. I would hope, like, we've already gone with, uh, with a worse structure and probably a worse starting 11. We went to, uh, we played Man City previously, got a draw. Mm-hmm. Man City are copping a bit of flack at the moment. Still think we're probably going to lose that. And I don't know. I just I, I just feel that there's going to be a team that's going to go and it's going to really frustrate Arsenal. And Villa, like this Arsenal team was coming good last season. And that goal for Bayakisako on St. Patrick's weekend, I think it was. Yes, they outplayed us and we didn't do much in attack, but we frustrated them in defence. And mm. while, what I'm trying to get at here is, I think we get six points, by the way. So spoiler alert, 19 points from the first 10 games. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to go. I think Man City and I think Everton. What what you can defend like we've, we've shown, we can defend against them um, against Spurs. Learning from the Liverpool loss where we were wide open. Again, I feel we should have got something out of as well. I think that we can when when we can do that, and if we if we can consolidate the game in 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 the 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 defensive third and the midfield third. I think we always think that we've we've a shot at getting a, a one-all draw or a nil-all draw against those teams. So I I think we will ultimately end up losing them, but I think that I don't think we're going to get wiped. You know, yeah. I don't think, and that's and that's progress. I think that's progress um, from from the team because Unai Emery hasn't fully implemented his game plan. I would imagine yet, but we're seeing some good good green shoots. Then again, you ask me, would we've got results against United and Spurs? I would have said not a chance in hell. So. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm kind of confident that we can we can batten down the hatches and and uh, and see what can happen. But my answer is 19 points from 10 games, which is a good return, very good return. Yeah, well, if we're averaging almost two points a game over the course of a season, you're looking at a mid 60, 60, low 70 points all, aren't you, from 38 games, which would yeah. be pushing for European football. Um, the comment from John I thought was interesting. Imagine the motivation that Unai has in frustrating Arsenal. It's written in the stars. Again, we're a few weeks away from it, but is there anything in that that Emery's got a point to prove against his former club and we might be the ones to go there and go, yeah, you know what, we're going to take you for a bit of a ride? Do you know what? It's funny. It's funny. You kind of look at some play- some people and you say, no, he doesn't have a spiteful bone in his body. And I look at Unai Emery and I think that, but I kind of go... Everybody's a bit of spite in them, yeah, not they? have a bit of it, yeah. <laughs> everybody wants. Every, there's a, everybody has 
has somebody that they grit their teeth at and they go, hmm, yeah, that guy or whatever. It's like, don't, I hope he does. If he turns his back on me, I'll, 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 I'll show him who's boss. And uh, look, I would love that to be that to be the situation. Um, the Unai Emery does have this spite and he does want to get that monkey off his back. Um, I personally thought, like, he he did a fine job at Arsenal. It just wasn't what people expected from him. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I'm all for it. Go frustrate them. Go out and make make sure that they, uh, you know, it's like 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 uh, what is it? You break up with somebody, and the next thing, all of a sudden, you hit the gym hard, and then you you try and get back at them that way. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm all for Una Emery doing that and and frustrating them with hard work and uh, and with good tact with good tactical display. And look, a nil all draw against against Arsenal, a boring nil all draw where Graham Sooner says well, that's one of the worst games I've ever seen. That's fine by me. I have no problem with Graham Sooner saying that that's bad football because against the of Arsenal who are runaway <laughs> train at the moment and against the likes of City that's progress in my book I didn't expect a Graham Sooners impression but that's I did, pretty good neither did I um, <laughs> I, also, I also just said like, we'll go to Arsenal and maybe frustrate them I forgot it's at home it's at Villa, it's at yeah. Villa Park 12.30 on, on things on BT in a couple of weeks time um, so it's Arsenal come to us and, and let's do something on them you've got Southampton away which you always look at the bottom side and think you've Everyone wants to beat them, and it would be a, a real shame not to. But it is an, it is an away game. They have beat yeah. Man City in the cup. You know, it's a bit of a banana skin, but you know, you'd like Villa to win there. Leicester at home, I would want Villa to win every home game possible because that's how you should treat your home games. You, you are the the top dog. People are coming to you. You should frustrate them and, and pick them off. So I would want to win that. Man City away is Man City away, and if you don't get anything there, there's no nothing. No, you know, no shame in that. Then Arsenal do come to us. We play early, the twelve thirty kickoff. You on telly, you frustrate the, the league leaders, and you nick something. And Emery and a Martinez hatch a plan to frustrate Arsenal and come away with some points. And then it's Everton away, Goodison Park to end off February, and you kind of go, oh, you look at that and think, I want to be winning that as well, just because of where mm. they are. There's Crystal Palace at Villa Park, West Ham, Bournemouth, and you kind of start to look at it, and, and you're almost going. Oh, we can put a bit of a run together here if we're if we're on our game. There's some, some winnable games in there. And yeah. before we go, I just want to talk about like the season left in terms of like our prospects because some people fall into the trap of going, "Oh, we're at both cups. That's annoying. We're not going to win the Premier League. We're not going to get relegated. The season's over. I'm not interested anymore." So other people look at it and go, mm, we're six points off Europe. <laughs> yeah. And if we make the right recruitment and we start to implement Emery style and we, we keep this kind of run of, um, was it 13 points from 18 and it's mm. 10 points from 20 and it's, you know, you're always one in two. Um, it's possible still that Villa can mount a bit of a challenger and do something. It's, we're halfway through the season. The, 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 the classic one, isn't it, is in Newcastle. Who I saw, I saw the, the stat the other day that their record is the complete reverse than it was last year. So it's something like they've won ten, drawn uh, a couple, and lost one or whatever yeah. this season. And last year they won a couple and, yeah. and lost ten or whatever. It was one, like one one drawn eight, last ten, and now they've won ten, drawn eight, last one or something. Like yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, so you just think, you know, they're the kind of the benchmark to go. Things can happen in half a season. It's a long time. There's what fifty-seven points available. If my maths is correct off the top of my head, if you get thirty points from fifty-seven and finish on fifty-five, 55. sixty, it's, yeah. not, it's not it's not impossible uh, that kind of of level. But if you can do better than that, and you're looking at forty points from fifty-seven, and you put this massive run together, which again is 
people are just going to, oh, you're getting carried away, they'll are nowhere near it, they'll never get your calm down. I understand all that, but I also don't want to sit here on the 19th of January and go, well, season's over, we're halfway through, things can happen, things over. change. Season isn't over. Let's have our best finish. Wherever it is, let's finish higher than 11th. That's been our best finish in recent times in the Premier League. I'm quite confident that we can do that. You mentioned 55 points. That would, I I would say, if there's any statistical geniuses out there that can go back and check, I would say more often than not, that gets you into Europe, no problem. Um, Mm. Might even be one of those those numbers that you'll see would have actually maybe gotten you in fourth place, one of those bonkers seasons or whatever. But, um, like, uh, there's a comment in there from Kelvin Hill. Can we just worry about getting three points against Southampton? Hampton first absolutely I think we should worry about that but um, I I think the Villa should be looking at the top half finish ninth uh, at the very ninth I think for me I think is achievable like you've got Chelsea and you've got you've got um, you've got uh, Liverpool occupying ninth and tenth at the moment Um, I would expect them to make late charges and late runs and would be I still would be surprised if if both of those teams weren't in some sort of European football next season, whether it be the yeah. Europa Conference or the Europa Europa League or the or the even the Champions League, um, even though they're eight to ten points off some teams, I think that they will go on late runs. They always do. I also mm. think that the that the great performances we've seen from from Fulham, who've been an absolute breath of fresh air, you know, this season and some of the results they've had, I think they potentially will tail off as well. Um, mm. And while I don't think we're going to start leapfrogging all the way up the league, I think ninth is somewhere where we should be looking at and going you know what that seems about right that seems and at the yeah. start of the season i would have said ninth was about right for us as well so um given what i know now i still think ninth is about right and uh solidify the team maybe transform the defense in one way or another get a talisman up top or either unlikely this this transfer window or, or in june and, and and you know i know that might be looking for a lot or asking a lot but i i think villa i think our midfield is quite quite good at the moment and it should be mm-hmm. something we should build around along with our goalkeeper and, you know f- tweak one or two little areas and I think consistent along with the consistency that Unai Emery's tactics brings we should be looking to solidify and move up the league over the next couple of seasons but I think ninth, ninth I would be uh, I would be I'd be confident enough in predicting in and around ninth position to finish this season yeah, I think you're right. And those those sides, Liverpool and Chelsea, going up the league, and lots of Fulham, Brighton, and Brentford dropping off a little bit in the second half, and them kind of falling out, not completely out of the top ten, but certainly falling down it a little bit more. I almost then would look at the bottom half, the likes of a Bournemouth, Wolves, Leicester, Leeds, Forest, Palace, and think, are they good enough to push themselves and propel themselves into those positions? Sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, probably not. So I think Villa will finish somewhere around the middle and it'd be lower top half would be realistic. But if the points total to European football is, oh, we finished 10th, but we were five points away from seventh, you kind of go, okay, well, there's progress to be made there and we're heading in the right direction. There's a comment here from Troy that I could never trust whether these fans that are overtly negative are real Aston Villa fans or whether they're just online people having a having a wind up so take it with a pinch of salt but he said without Danny Ings's goals don't be surprised if we're in a relegation battle last few games there's a few comments saying leave the chat Troy stop being so negative but there might be a mindset of Villa fans out there that are going these two are chatting absolute rubbish about European football yeah. we're in trouble oh, this yeah. season so <laughs> yeah exactly but is there a case to say that we that was a mistake with Danny Ings that, uh, summer, uh, January recruitment might not work John Duran might be an absolute flop and we are looking looking over our shoulder for the other way at the end of the season. Here's us talking about 10th and above. And really, it's, oh my God, 15th is probably the best we can do here. We're in trouble. Is that fair or is that too yeah. negative? Uh, well, well, look, I, I suppose there's, there's also... <laughs> 
See, I, I think what's happened here is we've sold Danny Ings to somebody who's in the relegation place this year at the moment. Um, I don't know how many how many points uh, West Ham are behind us. I think it's something like eight points, six to eight points. They got they got um, fifteen. We've got twenty five, so it's ten. Th- there's uh, yeah, so ten points behind. Do I think that that this uh, West Ham are going to make up those ten points? I absolutely think they could know that they've got Danny, Danny Ings, but. They have to make up those 10 points and exceed us for, you know, exceed our points total by 10 points or more over the course of the the rest of the season. That's pretty difficult. It's pretty difficult to do over a 20 game stretch. Now, it's not impossible. Look at Newcastle. What I'm getting at here is that West Ham, I think, will will survive relegation. If West Ham get relegated with the team that they have, it's an abomination. And it's happened to them before. It's Mm -hmm. happened to them before in the Joe Cole days and all that. But if they do get relegated, I think that's just like that. That would be amazing to me. But I do think that there are three worse teams than us. And I know that's always in the back of your head as an Aston Villa fan. I think there are three teams worse teams than us. Um, at, least. at least three worse teams. Yeah, that's the way I should have phrased it. <laughs> and I think that I, I think that Unai Emery can go out against any team. Like if we need 10 draws to finish out, out the season and Unai Emery knows 10 draws gets us safe in the league. And that's my remit at the moment. Unai Emery will go out and get us 10 draws. Yeah, agreed. Because it's very difficult to break down six at the back. Imagine how much more difficult it'd be, be to break down eight, nine, ten at the back. And he's he's shown he's no problem doing it with Villarreal in the biggest games of his career, of their of their their club's career in the likes against the likes of uh, Juventus, Bayern Munich, Liverpool. He's no problem shutting up shop, and he knows how not to get a tonkin. Now, fingers crossed and touching wood here that uh, this that doesn't come back to bite me. But I just don't see it with a manager as good as Unai Emery. I do not see us being dragged into a massive relegation battle because mm-hmm. we've got that 10-point buffer zone. I think upwards is... is uh, it, I'm 55% looking upwards, or 60% looking upwards, 40% obviously looking backwards because we're Aston Villa. That's kind of the way that, that, that my mindset is going. Troy says he was a, he is a genuine Villa fan. He was in the A7 Trinity for Leeds on Friday and Villa will finish mm-hmm. below West Ham, that's for sure, which I, I don't agree with at all. But this is what I mean. I'm, I'm keen to try and get two sides of the opinion rather than us go, yeah, you may see it ultra positive. 40, 50% of the audience watching this might go, them two are uh, talking rubbish. We're going to be lucky to stay up here like, with, did, with losing these goals and stuff, which is, I'm trying to do both sides of the coin. West Ham have to win three games and draw two games to overplay, to, to, like, uh, of the 20 games that are left, they have to have better results in, in the form of winning three or even winning four games of those 20, and we get no points in those four games yeah. that they win. And, and what I'm talking about is it's, it's 100% possible. It absolutely is 100% possible. But, like, statistically, it would be an outlier. And, and that's yeah. why you can never be confident with anything, but 10 points is a lot to make up. It's a lot to make up to us. And they also have, they also have, we also have to then have the other teams below us to win to leapfrog us too for us to drop down the league. So um, we're in a nice position at the moment. Um, we can never say we're safe until we're mathematically safe. But I, I think the club should be looking at jumping as opposed to, yeah. as opposed to, um, you know, to, to falling. I mean, when we've got 25 points and 13 of those, so almost half have come in the last six games under Emery, how crap the first, what, and that 13 games were under Gerard. there's absolutely nothing to suggest that we don't get at least 25 points again in the second half of the season, just by the law of averages. So if Villa are for yeah. 50 points, obviously... One of our highest of points finishes of ever yeah. in the Premier League. They're going to be absolutely points. clear of any, any threat of relegation. Yeah. Emery will not be involved in a relegation scrap, neither will Villa, and we'll certainly be looking up the table and not down it. If Villa got less than 50 points, I'd be disappointed because we're halfway yeah. now with 25 and, and Gerard was responsible for 13 of those games. So in yeah. what world do Villa get less than 25 points from the next 19? 
under Emery. He's too he's too much of a professional to get less than twenty five points. Is my would be my kind of I would die and, on this hill that we'll and, get fifty and, points. And exactly, and there you go. That would mean if we'll only get ten points for the rest of the season, we'll use West Ham as the benchmark because they should be they, sh- they will be better at some stage because they've got like yeah. the Skamaka up front should be a better striker than he is should be scoring more than he is. They've got Paqueta, they've got Fornells, they've got Bone, they've got Rice. Suchek, like I'm literally naming every one of those players gets in our team, gets in mm. our team, no problem, you know. And we're and we're singing from we're singing all about them because they're good players. If they, let's just say they change manager, all of a sudden I could see like I, I, there's no problem. I don't think they have any anything to fear about relegation. I think they get out of it because of the quality of players that they have. But to as you said there, to make up that ten points and surpass Aston Villa, and for all the teams below Aston Villa to also <laughs> surpass our point total, that's <laughs> where I, I, you know the confidence comes in saying. There's a lot that needs to go wrong for Villa in that aspect. And believe me, we all know it could. We just don't want yeah. to admit it. Yeah, I think I think whoever is down there will survive on 30, 35 points, the same as the, the year that we stayed by the skin of our teeth. So Villa need to win four games yeah. in the next 19 to be clear of relegation. Like that. I don't really know what we're talking about for as long as we have, because I've got well, I've, I've I've no idea either, about it's, it. It's important. <laughs> as, as I said, we're two fans doing a podcast, and uh, we talked about that we sometimes we get like as I said I'm always licking the, the the sugary side of a donut I always like to see the positive in things but even when you're discussing some things about the negative as well you know it's important to kind of sit back and go right what's the context of this and and uh, while you can never be sure about anything it's important to talk about it I suppose as well mm. the goal difference is always a good barometer isn't it well, to an extent <laughs> of uh, a five on that I think <laughs> yeah of, of, how, of how bad a side is so you look at like us being minus five having the best goal difference in the bottom half and obviously being the highest ranked team in the bottom half at, at 11th some of the others like Wolves minus 15, Bournemouth minus 23, Forest minus 19. Like they're bad sides that have managed to get themselves up the league a little bit. Like Forest being yeah. on 20 points is is an over like an overachievement at this stage, I would say, given their performances. So yeah, there's no point of Villa, of Villa talking about relegation at all. We might we might go to 45 points, and I'm wrong that we won't get another 25, but I will die on the hill now. now I'm going on paternity leave soon anyway, so say what you want after, yeah. about me afterwards. But I would be amazed if Villa were on less than 50 points at the end of the season. And we'll, we'll clip this out on January and come back to it in June. I just don't see Emery getting less than 25 points from half a season. I think that would be a failure to get less than 25. Depending on who comes in, who comes in this transfer window, you see that's and that's going to be the answer. And who leaves? Yeah, well, let's I, give me some caveats that we, if we sell a load of players in the next week, then maybe yeah. we won't. But if we Absolutely. improve the squad by I a couple so. of players, there's yeah, we'll get 45, 50 points easily. Exactly. Okay. Um, I think I think we'll call it a day there. There's a, just on the Danny Ings thing. You talk about his goals, and the guy said about that Ings won us a lot of points. Is that true? Um, the only one I know about for sure is that I think I've seen something like five of Brendier's goals have all been match winners. So his five goals have led directly I, to points. I don't know. Uh, and as I said, he scored them in buckets. So he's, he won us a point at Wolves. Um, that's mm. for sure because he got that goal. Um, the two goals against Brentford, we won 4-0. I think that they were, with Bailey got the first, was it Ings got two and then I can't remember who scored the, the last. Yeah, so that what we won... 4-0, 4-1 in that game. So if you take it, the, the Abelli scored the winner in that game. You know, I, I don't even know how to quantify that, but all I know is that he got two against uh, two against uh, Bournemouth um, uh, or well. against Brentford, two against someone else. I, I, I said it at the start of the podcast. Brighton, I think. Brighton. 
and uh, one against Wolves and then one earlier on in the season. So um, the two against Brighton, I suppose you could pro- you could say that they won us the game. So that's that's potentially four points. It, it's an imp- it, for me, it's a difficult stat to, to determine, specifically if yeah. you beat the team 4-0 uh, and he scores two goals in the middle. But then which ones were the ones that put the nail in the team's coffin? You know, there's a, there's a, a, an argument to be made there with that. But um, look, very good striker. Pity it didn't work out here for him. The born, born goal scorer, I think, um, injuries have killed his, killed his career at inopportune times for him and mm. uh, he will score goals at West Ham mm. that's my view on it I think how many, how many goals so we can come back to this put this prediction oh. episode and go I'm going to say yeah. he scores six goals for West Ham and he equals his Aston Villa record mm. that'd be alright yeah. I mean I'm not worried about West Ham or relegation so I said before 50 points minimum that Villa will get this season uh, how we get there I'm not really bothered like you said if it's 10 draws at the end to see us over the line I'll, I'll take that exactly. Um Neil, thank you very much for joining me for the last hour. I do appreciate you spending your lunch hour away from work talking rubbish with me about Aston Villa. It's very much appreciated. And I know that the audience will be uh, happy to see you on here as always. Um, we'll try and link up more regularly than we did that the last time you were on was Bubakakamara signing in the summer. And now you're here in January. So we won't, we won't wait till the summer to have you on again. We will speak before then. Uh, you're more than welcome to come on with one of the lads when I'm away on paternity leave. By the way, that might be really helpful for them to to know that they've got a kind of guest episode for for an hour or while, while I'm off. That'd be good. So we'll try and work something out for that. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in this afternoon as well. We appreciate all your thoughts and feedback, whether it be positive or uh, a bit more negative. I'm trying to play both sides of the coin best I can, but I'm certainly in the camp that Villa should be looking up rather than looking down. And, and hopefully most people feel the same way as well. Um, like I said, thank you very much for watching. I'll be back. We will definitely do something after Southampton, whether it's on Saturday I'm not sure it could be Monday because obviously it's away and I don't know who's available. So we will talk about the Southampton game, whether it's on the day of, I'm not sure. So subscribe to the channel and keep your eyes peeled on our uh, social media pages to keep right up to date with our latest content. Neil, thanks for joining me. Thanks everyone for watching and we'll see you again very, very soon. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue and Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your thoughts and comments. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. Yeah.